Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. When your opponent is failing, you you let them fail. What, what's the expression when they're drowning? You don't send them. You know you don't give them a life preserver. And it always drove me crazy that President Trump, when he would he would see that the left was floundering, he'd invariably say something to make it about him. It always used to drive me crazy. I often talked about self-inflicted wounds, talked about uh, leg kicks and mixed martial arts. Leg kick is devastating, but it's rarely just one leg kick, no matter what Conor McGregor may tell you. It's the accumulation of leg kicks that prevent the fighter from being able to plant properly. Therefore, you're not able to throw a punch because you're not able to rotate the hips properly because you need it all working in sync. Self-inflicted wounds, the accumulation of leg kicks, it's never one self-inflicted wound, usually in politics. It's a series of them that lead to disaster. And I take a look at where Joe Biden is right now. And one by one, economic, border, Afghanistan, these are all things he could have changed, could have done differently, and chose not to, and is proud of the fact that he hasn't. But now we have in this world of mandates a question of whether or not the political right is making a change that's bad for them and whether or not that should be addressed. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it is good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com. Noah Rothman joins us right now from Commentary Magazine, and you hear him over at NBC. Uh, Now, his latest over a commentary, the rights of vaccine mandate skepticism, goes from principled to paranoid. Now, I don't know if I go this far, young man. But conceptually, it is something that we discussed that Greg Abbott's pushed the governor of Texas to say you're not allowed to mandate vaccines in a private entity is not what we would consider a conservative position. Not at all. Um, I, I At the outset of this pandemic, I was uh, one of the first uh, to publicly call for, I, I believe, to publicly call for state legislatures to ensure via legislation, that what was imminently foreseeable, the uh, establishment of proof of vaccination, should not be used to deny services to individuals and should be legislatively uh, prohibited um, because to do so would be to create a two-tier system. It would um, create a regime that would be disparately enforced and individuals, it would be primarily enforced on the professional classes and there would be a class distinction um, where substandard services and abusive employers were reserved for people without such proof and you wouldn't be able to see them. I have no problem with that. I think that's an obligation for conservatives. Likewise, I think conservatives are right to be concerned about the prospects of Joe Biden's likely unconstitutional, in my view, use of uh, OSHA uh, to somehow create a vaccination status and then to enforce such a status on individuals um, and basically just about every employer in a country when you talk about businesses over 100. I think all those are due concerns, valid concerns, and only conservatives will care about them, so they're obliged to do so. Greg Abbott's mandate, however, anti-mandate as it were, 
uh, imposes as much on individuals, the sovereignty of individuals, as Joe Biden's mandate. Just because you own a business, that doesn't mean you're not an individual anymore. A closely held corporation established by the Supreme Court's decision in the Hobby Lobby case has as much rights as any individual to do what they see fit. They are obliged to be free from interference by the public sector, uh, particularly when it comes to violative uh, ideas about what is good and not good for your own body. That is the sort of thing that is out bedrock conservative principle. And this is exactly what uh, Greg Abbott's policy was up to August. His policy was non-interference in private life. That changed after Joe Biden issued this mandate. And I can only attribute this change and the policy that resulted to it, or from it rather, to culture warring. The culture has changed on the right and a maximalist approach now uh, to anti-vaccine mandates up to and including violating your individual freedoms and liberty and conscience are, are, are fair game now. This is just the terms of engagement. But what it is if a violation I, of principle in my view? I, I And uh, for the record, you and I agree on that part of it. Uh, in, in the last hour, I explained that I believe that Governor Abbott is wrong, but I believe that Governor DeSantis is correct because DeSantis engaging a fine on Leon County is about government and Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott's position is about private business. But you bring up an interesting thing about the culture war. What if I said it this way, and maybe I'm, I'm a little more plain-spoken than, than you are, you fancy man, you Noah Rothman. What if, what if I said that this is about engaging and proving the absurdism of the left's argument with an equally radical argument that makes people say, well, wait, you can't do that, and then you go, aha, you can't do that. Is there, and is there anything to that argument, or is that just, well, it's too cute by half? Well, maybe, but that's your job and my job. It's not Greg Abbott's job. It's not his job to prove a point and to prove a point via bad governance, via violative governance, likely unconstitutional governance. It's our job to make theoretical arguments and to talk about them and to catch people in hypocrisy. I mean, that's the, the nature of our business. That's not what the... the voters of Texas elected Greg Abbott to do to make a, a point and to put his hands on his hips and go, aha, I gotcha. I mean, that's that's just not his job description. And in fact, I think it's an abdication of his responsibilities to his constituents. Talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, uh, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter. I see this as, I, I, I think I if I were to dig deep, I could be like, okay, I get the position that he's taking. But I do think that it is a mistake because I think it takes away from the larger issue, which is, on a, in, a, in, in its political sense, Joe Biden never expected pushback on the vaccine mandates. He can't believe what is happening across the country. He can't believe what has happened with the Southwest pilots because no matter how you want to twist and turn it, legal or not legal, it was a sick out. And he's got to be worried that American Airlines, because this is the rumor mill, is going to engage the same thing. And it, this is just one of many, many stories where Joe Biden has decided to lay down a marker. And once again, the marker is completely off base, not only not where America is, but just like we see in the border, not even where his own party is in, in the implementation. It's hit after hit. And the question I've got for you is, how many more of these hits can this man take? Well, you know, that's a very good question. I, I don't know how static his, his 
the president's job approval rating is it seems to bounce around depending on the poll and it may be even on the uptick now as as memories of uh, debacles like Afghanistan fade in the rear view um, but I don't I struggle to see the public health justification for these mandates at all we're talking about a very small portion of the population and in these industries a very small portion of these industries the people who are holdouts um, and it is in, it is the prerogative of these institutions and these businesses to impose such mandates if they see fit and the government is obliged to impose mandates on individuals working in the private in the, in the public sector they can do that they have done that and continue to do that and including schools and what have you I mean that is established uh, legal precedent. We're not talking about anything bizarre here. Uh, but when it comes to trying to increase the vaccination rate, these mandates have had a negligible effect. And now Joe Biden goes around and talks about, oh, now we have a 96% vaccination rate in this business, that business, the other business. Well, yeah, that happens when you let go of everybody who isn't vaccinated. Um, but we're still talking about very modest pop portions of these companies, 200, 300 people here, there. And it's not having a macro effect on the overall vaccination rate, which leads you to conclude that if it's not a public health policy, then it's just social engineering. It's just cultural and an attempt to impose your cultural vision on the rest of the country. That may be successful, but it is extremely extreme violation, a change of the terms of the social contract in ways that conservatives and the right are obliged to resist. I support their resistance, but you can't resist a social engineering escapade and then embrace another social engineering escapade just because it's the equal and opposite measure of what the other guy is doing. That's not well thought out. That's just uh, reactionary. I, and, I, and, I, and I don't say no uh, to that, but I think that the, the Abbott decision is not, uh, part, is not the whole consideration of people who disagree with the mandates because that, has, that goes far greater than the political right. It's as if the Biden administration doesn't understand or people on the political left don't understand that when they talk about those not getting vaccinated, they can bring up Trump supporters from now until the cows come home, but you're not bringing up uh, black urbanites who have simply said, I'm not doing this, not being a, a part of this. And there's going to be a question about whether they rally around people like Kyrie Irving of, of the Brooklyn Nets. But I bring up the border. You take a look at supply chains. We were just talking with an economist, Dr. Matt Will, about what's going on in the ports and with trucking across uh, the country. That the White House has acknowledged something we've been discussing here, that Christmas could be very, very sparse uh, this, this time of year. People can't get Christmas gifts. That plays into 2022. I'm not sure there's short-term memory on that. Are we ranking how bad these things are, or is one of these things, are all of them just part of the same bad stew for where Joe Biden's leadership has gotten us? Uh, it is all part of the, the same stew. Um, there was a uh, focus group that sort of just made, you know, made the rounds in the intelligentsia and uh, among people who are in this sort of business, conducted by uh, Sarah Longwell, who's over at the Bulwark. And she used when she was and this is all of Democratic voters, and she used a very loaded term to describe the prevailing sentiment in that room, Malay. And that was again, this has become a loaded term in part because of the history around that speech, Jimmy Carter's speech, in which the term was the word was never used, uh, was subsequently later used. Uh, I believe it was Chris Lash who used it to describe it. And it stuck and it typified an era, a period of uh, just a general downbeat. Uh, economic uh, stagnation, high inflation, and want and need and deprivation, and just stasis, a sense that there was no forward motion. 
And that is that is absolutely going to stick to this president on this current course in a way that I don't think this White House really believes is coming. I think they think they can get out of it through influencers and having the, the you know, the command of the culture. Um, but it is absolutely pervasive among Democratic voters. And if, again, if we have a bad Christmas season, I mean, it takes somebody it, it, it honestly takes somebody who's got too many degrees not to know that a Christmas season where you can't get presents for your children is going to be bad politically. You have, you have to be an intellectual in order to just to rationalize your way out of the idea that that's bad for the sitting president. Uh, agreed. I, I love how you referred to it as someone with too many degrees, talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman, on, on the Twitter box. The consideration, or I should say the question I've been asking myself as I look at these things, and, and you know, you've written about uh, the, the border as well. Democrats care about the border. Why doesn't Joe Biden? I think that you could kind of plug in a series of things there and ask, why doesn't Joe Biden? It, it's, it very much seems that his job is can speech, blame Trump, hate you for not listening, walk. And you, it's a, it's a very plug-and-play model as opposed to the thing that I think that people thought they were getting from Joe Biden, which was a rather authentic kind of cat. There's nothing authentic about Joe Biden over the last uh, few months except for we got out of Afghanistan because I wanted to be the president who ended the war, and that was more important than whether or not I left people behind to die, which, oh, by the way, I did. So uh, the question before us is why doesn't Joe Biden seem to – be concerned about these things. It's utterly thoughtless. And that border thing is really interesting because the numbers on that poll is a Quinnipiac poll that showed really bad numbers for Joe Biden all the way around. But the worst numbers he got were on immigration generally and the border crisis specifically. And they were down in the low 20s, mid 20s, low 20s in the whole population. And you don't get there without losing a whole lot of, of your base voters, uh, in part because there are more registered Democrats in this country than there are Republicans. So you go into the numbers and you find out that Fully half of Democrats on both those issues do not support Joe Biden, and you have every reason to see why. There are immigration restrictionists, immigration skeptics within the Democratic coalition, despite their total absence from any social uh, – from any center-left media venue. They do exist. But there's also Demo uh, immigration doves who really do want almost zero enforcement of immigration law and the border enforcement, what have you. And both of them have every reason to hate Joe Biden. Because he's taken both approaches to this issue. He's got a lax immigration enforcement policy where they're not allowing ICE to perform raids, for example, and not de halting deportations, et cetera, et cetera. But also he's, he's complying with federal law insofar as the Flores decision, the 1997 Flores decision, requires this administration to separate families, not to keep children in, in custody for over 20 days. So the family separation policy continues. They still are failing to in, you know, import refugees at a, at a rate that eclipses the, uh, um, Donald Trump's uh, record on the issue. So both camps have every reason to hate this president as long as they have a considered position on the issue. If your only position is not, at least Donald Trump is not Joe Biden, that's fine for you, but that amounts to only 50 percent of the issue. So if you've, if you've thought about this at all and you have a position on it one way or the other, you're offended by how Joe Biden is acting. Which is true because I'm offended by how Joe Biden is acting. This, this much is fact. Noah Rothman, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter, Commentary Magazine. Uh, be sure to check him out there and at NBC. Noah, always a pleasure. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz.
Said it before, I'll say it again. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this fits the definition of clapping back. Uh, you, you know what a clapback is, there, producer Ari? Yeah, when someone you know on Twitter, it's when you someone says something and you slap them right back with an insult. All right. Do you have to clap while you do it? That is not required, okay. but is it? But it is encouraged. Oh, in, in, in that case, you cannot act the fool on an airplane. Was that right? Was that a good? Was that nailed it? Thank you, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Enjoy the veal. There's a guy on a plane, United flight to Los Angeles. Flight attendant says, "Hey, you got to wear a mask," and he's like, "Oh yeah," and then decides to cause a problem, upset with the flight attendant. So he runs up to the galley. That's where they prepare your little snacks in the front of the plane to scream at the flight attendant. And he's yelling, you know, take me off the plane. I don't even want to go to California. Screaming, I will find your name, date of birth, and address. I'll know your social security number before I get off this plane. And then people are like, what in the world are you doing? And this guy, this crazy guy's like, mind your business because I'll break your neck. Now listen to me very carefully. All you tough guys out there. Oh, you know how I love the tough guys, everybody. Listen to me, tough guys. You don't get to act the fool on a plane. Here's how it goes down. You nonsense loser who has never sexually satisfied a woman a day in your life. Here's the deal. You act up on a plane, the entire plane gets up and with one fist beats you till you simply cannot walk. That way you're easier to duct tape to the chair. Then we fly to our destination. At that moment, you get arrested. Why you should you get arrested where you are? We can hopefully get you arrested where you're not from, so it's more difficult for you to get back. Then we go about our vacations talking about how awesome it is. This schmuck acted up on a plane. Bam, pow, ping. We took care of that. Next thing you know, we had a great flight. Everybody was happy. The peanuts were extra special that day. They must have used the new salt. You act up on a plane, expect to get beat. As a matter of fact, if there is a plane full of people that doesn't beat a guy who acts up on a plane, I don't even know what's going on. It's a mask. It's not the flight attendant's fault. Stop being crazy. Or be crazy and get your ass kicked. Either way. No, no, wait. Don't be crazy. I'm Tony Katz. Do we encourage our kids in school to narc on each other? Right? Like, I know the expression, if you see something, say something. Right? I, I, I get that. But are we encouraging, through the wokeness, to try and get our kids to narc on each other. The story is out of the Washington Free Beacon. Me, I'm Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, would love to hear from you. Whether we're talking about uh, what's going on with the border, what's going on with the shipping, you want to talk about anything. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. I'm listening, I'm all ears, I'd love to talk to you. They're over at Washington Free Beacon. They write a story about St. Albans, which is a boys' school, a, a, a private school 
and how they've now engaged a crackdown on harmful speech, what they call hate speech. It is the impact of hate speech rather than the intent of those perpetrating it that is of utmost importance, this according to a draft policy. Boys can be expelled, quote, even in the case of a single expression, act, or gesture, and that's the quote, and then it includes misplaced humor, which the policy says should be reported immediately to the student's advisor. That's weird, the idea of report immediately. Never mind, you know, they're like one and out from, from what? What if you say something that's, that's off color and you don't even know it? What if you don't even know it? And the story goes on to say that at St. Mark's School in Massachusetts, they use this as an example, students can report their peers anonymously via an online form this part of their anti-racist action plan. If you favor that, chances are we're not going to be friends. If you favor that, the chances are that we are not going to enjoy the company of one another. I don't, I don't actually see how it's possible that we could. It, it, it's, it's clear to me that I, I, I'm too good for you. <laughs> it, it is. It's nuts. We favor the idea of an online forum where you just narc on, on other students. I am not saying that if a student does something to you, you shouldn't go to an, a, an adult and go to a teacher. I'm not making that argument. I favor that argument. But the, 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 the anonymous online narking, that, that creeps me out. Maybe we're just getting these kids ready for a world where they deal with an IRS that's following everything that you do. They want to keep making this claim that what they're doing is tracking billionaires. And the, what they want to do is they want the IRS to be monitoring all of dollar flows out of your bank accounts over $600. And they're negotiating the amounts. But they want to do this. Does it matter the amount? They want to know what's going in and coming out of your bank account. And according to the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, it's because uh, you are a disgusting cheat. You want banks to report transactions of $600 or more. That's what the IRS wants. Does this mean that the government is trying to peek into our pocketbooks if you want to look at $600 transactions? Absolutely not. I think this proposal has been seriously mischaracterized. Um, The proposal involves no reporting of individual transactions of any individual. Look, the big picture is that we have a tax gap that over the next decade is estimated at $7 trillion, namely a shortfall in the amount that IRS is collecting due to a failure of individuals to report the income that they've earned. But that's among billionaires. Is that among people who are transferring $600? No, it tends to be among high-income individuals. Then why in the world would it be about $600? Why would it be about $600? Can I do a quick math for you guys? Producer Ari, you want to check me on this? Take off your shoes. You ready? 
Go for it. Take $15, or just take the number 15, which represents $15 an hour. And what's an average work week? 40 hours. Huh. Multiply it by 40. 600. Ain't that something? They picked a number that would be the what they call the living wage number, which is doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a living wage. $15 an hour, $600. That's a, that, that to me was a little strange, how well that worked. But let's say I'm reading too much into it. I'm stepping out of a comfort zone. I'm going full on into the thing, man. Let... I'm I'm willing to accept that about myself. I'm going there. Then let's ask the other question based on the question Nora O'Donnell asked and the answer from Janet Yellen. Namely, a shortfall in the amount that IRS is collecting due to a failure of individuals to report the income that they've earned. But that's a billionaires is that among people who are transferring six hundred dollars no it tends to be among high-income individuals who then why in the world would you be tracking six hundred dollars shouldn't you be tracking sixty thousand dollar outflows the number doesn't make any sense janet by the way how could we be talking about janet yell and not be playing damn it janet if we have a chance for a musical interlude and we didn't take it i apologize everyone i'm slipping They are all excited about this idea of tracking the $600. They are overjoyed about tracking the $600. They have no plans of giving up this idea at all. It still exists, even in the remake, in the refigure, in the reconfiguration of the $3.5 trillion infrastructure package, because they couldn't get it through because they don't have the buy-in, because the plan is terrible and has nothing to do with infrastructure. They're not giving this up. Now, I will say that if we have taxation, income taxes, and there is a percentage you have to pay, I believe the people should pay their taxes. I believe they should take advantage of every opportunity to lessen their tax burden as the law allows. What do I favor? I favor the total eradication of the income tax. There should be no federal income tax. Now, states can have an income tax. They have always been allowed to do this. But the 13th Amendment, the, the, or, or I should say 1913, and the addition of the income tax has done nothing but hurt the nation. The 16th Amendment is, is an income tax. Sorry. 1913 is when it happened. It's the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We've gotten no value out of the income tax. All we have done is divide people with the income tax, and we've created a situation where the government has power over we the people. I would, as president of the United States, eliminate, to the best of my ability, uh, you know, you still got Congress to work with, eliminate the federal income tax. There There can be luxury taxes, all sorts of things like that. The states can engage these kinds of taxes, not the federal government. But these people, they want more power and more control. This is what they want. More power and more control. This is the desire. Now, you could say to me, Tony, you were discussing earlier that it's not about control. Well, I think when we talk about 
uh, a series of things like COVID, they're not engaging mandates for the idea of control. They're engaging mandates for the idea that they have a secret knowledge of what is best for all of us. And if you will not do what they tell you to do because you're in lockstep, well, then they will have to force you to do it. What if the same rule applies with your dollars? They're going to engage a climate conservation core. They're going to retrofit buildings. They know how to spend this money on health care and child care and everything else. So they have to get your money in order to do it. But it's for your own good. So why won't you do what's for your own good? Here, let us just do it for you. We will do this for you, and you will be better off. And if that means we have to monitor all the money coming in and out of your bank accounts to make sure you're paying your, wait for it, fair share, well, then that's what we have to do because some people aren't paying their fair share. So we have to check in on you to make sure that they're doing the right thing. It's only for the best. Do you know how creepy these people are? They are that creepy. So understand that the control aspect of any conversation is not the top line. It is what is necessitated by the top line. So when people tell you, you know, or people try and argue, no, it's not about control, we're just making sure, of course, that's where it starts. Always with some idea of a secret knowledge that they know better than you. That they have a better understanding of what's important than you. That they have more value than you. And by the way, we should understand how serious the progressives are. This was Chuck Todd asking the question of Pramila Jayapal, representative from Washington State, who leads the Progressive Caucus. Well, Chuck, it's great to see you. I'm going to have my fog lamp every time I come uh, to be with you from now on. Look, I think that something, this phrase, something is better than nothing, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, some of the things that are said, those phrases are normally used at the end of a negotiation. They are used when you really have like the final details and you're putting the thing on and you say, you know, don't let one thing hold you up. That is not the situation here. The situation here is that we are fighting for the president's Build Back Better agenda, 85% of the entire presidential agenda that he laid out to us before Congress is in this Build Back Better Act. And we are saying don't leave people behind. Don't leave behind people, families who need childcare, families who need paid leave. Don't leave behind climate action. Don't leave behind housing. Don't leave behind immigrants. That is what we are saying. And 98% of all of us in Congress agree. She didn't mention infrastructure once. She didn't mention infrastructure once. Childcare, families who need paid leave, housing, Immigrants never mentioned infrastructure. But the infrastructure part is the part that doesn't matter to them. All these other plans and proposals are the things that matter to them. The things that allow them to get to their ideological core matter to them. And because their ideological core is so important, ordained to them from on high, which is, of course, as we all know, the faculty lounge, they must now implement this for your own good, even if you don't like it, because you are not quite ready yet to accept the truth.
It is a cult. It is a cult. And just like a good cultist, it's break you down, and then the control becomes fait accompli. What's so interesting here is when Pramila Jayapal is talking about don't let uh, a perfect be the enemy uh, of, of the good. She sent out a fundraising email. Can you believe what Nancy Pelosi said? What, can you believe what Nancy Pelosi said? You're, you're a Democrat, she's a Democrat. What, can you believe what Nancy Pelosi said? What do you mean, believe what Nancy Pelosi said? Nancy Pelosi is willing to cut here and cut there and cut the other, but we're standing firm by the Build Back Better program, and we need these dollars to make it work. And then she wants to tell you that there's no infighting. Then she wants to tell you there's no infighting. But let me give you one more piece about this control thing, about how it is it is never the top line it is a thing that has to come into play in order to get their top-line ideology through. There's only one way to explain this one. So we see this in schools. We see how things get played in schools. We see how parents are treated for wanting to protect and defend their children from bigotry. We see quite clearly that if you're a parent fighting for your kids, you get called all sorts of names. Listen. Violent looking, angry, spewing parents outside of these schools. Individuals intent on creating chaos for the sake of creating chaos. These actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. This becomes a security crisis in a sense for the nation. This may also mobilize even more law enforcement to, to be at these meetings. It is dangerous to our children when the parents themselves are the school bullies. I think one of the worst things is the actions at the board meetings. Uh, you know, the, the, the calling of names, you know, the, you know, tyrant, Marxist, communist. We've never... In order for the ideological woke to be able to engage their theories and policies, which is indoctrination of our children, they cannot have any opposition. Therefore, they must denigrate and attack and destroy the parent, further trying to separate the parent from the child, the parent parental responsibility from the child. The child, of course, should be left in the hands of the educator because they're the ones who are experts. The control of the parent does not come because they want to control the parent. What they want is the ideological desire of indoctrinating the child. But you, you uppity bastard, you keep talking. So now they have to control you. That's how it works. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I'm Tony Katz. I am really stunned that the story about Kyrie Irving isn't more of a story. Brooklyn Nets have told him that uh, he can't be a part-time net. Can't do it. Either get the vaccine and play or don't get the vaccine and uh, you're gone. 
And I haven't heard anything about Kyrie Irving saying, okay, I'll get the vaccine. He's not getting the vaccine. No way. So I am just surprised that the NBA, the Players Association players, aren't backing him up. I'm really and truly shocked by this. I'm going to have more on this. For sure. It's just it. They're gonna. They're just gonna let him not be able to play. We're. Gonna, they're. They're okay with this. Woo. Ain't that something? I, I guess uh, there's more than just uh, supporting your fellow player out there. This is Tony Katz today.